Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for December 2021. We'll focus our three key insights, which are centered around record low inventory, record high annual sales, and record high prices. My name is Justine Liu, Managing Broker here at Rennie, and joining us today, as always, is Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence, and Ryan Wise, our Senior Analyst with our Intelligence Division. I'm also really excited to welcome Jane Chu, an advisor with Rennie for almost 10 years. She has a Master's in Business and is part of the Medallion and Rennie Leaders Club for the past five years, and she specializes in the Vancouver region. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. Hey, Justine. Hey, how's everyone doing? Doing really good. This is our first podcast of the year. Super excited to be back in, uh, uh, I guess, recording with you guys. Recording remotely, too. Yes, I was going to say on air, but I guess we're not really on air. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we are, I guess, yeah, it's worth noting that we are recording remotely because of Omicron. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing to me that two years into COVID that we're, we're sort of back in this, in this scenario, definitely didn't, didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought we were, there was a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but I guess, you know, things turn and I hope everybody had a wonderful holidays though. Jane, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't really know what to expect, so I'll try my best on the podcast here. I'm sure everybody will be great. So let's just dive right in into our first insight. December's inventory in the Vancouver region was the lowest on record. The stats show that December inventory was just 6,709 homes, not only the lowest of all time, but 29% below the previous record low. So low inventory has obviously been a theme for our housing market for many, many months now, but this is becoming pretty extreme. I'm interested to hear from Ryan Wise, um, you talk about some of the additional data points that you have on this. Can you provide some more context for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting that you would use the word extreme. Uh, typically, in Intel, we like to really choose our language carefully. Uh, we talk about things being up or down, but we don't use a lot of uh, extreme language, uh, typically. And here we are in a situation where the numbers are so much different than they've ever been before. I think extreme is absolutely the, the right word to use. Um, and just to add some of that context, um, the history of our region, we've only had total inventory below 10,000 homes three times, December 2015, December 2016, and then the previous month uh, in November 2021. Uh, we have data going back all the way to 1989 for this. Um, and all three of those times, it was over 9,500. Basically, just three times we dipped just below 10,000. And here we are now, 6,705. That's a full... 29% lower than the previous all-time low. It's it's dramatically lower than we've ever seen before. Um, and since 1989, when we first uh, started tracking this, or when the real estate boards first started tracking this, uh, the region has the population of the region has increased by more than 1.3 million people. We've added 500,000 new homes. Um, there's there's a been tremendous growth throughout the region. So if anything, you would expect. Uh, not even to come quite as close to the all-time low, uh, given the amount of growth we've seen over time. And here we are at uh, just a, a brand new place. We've, we've gone right through the floor, and 
there's just such little inventory available. It's uh, it's quite surprising. So um, this really tight supply, uh, and we'll get into sales a bit more in a bit, but um, pretty strong sales has led to really, really deep seller's market conditions. So we've talked about the sales to listings ratio on this podcast before, and we'll kind of revisit it today. Sales to listings ratio is the number of um, sales divided by the number of homes available at the end of the month. Uh, anything over 20% is considered a seller's market. 12 to 20% is generally a balanced market. Under 12 being a buyer's market. Um, and here we are, they've been up to 47% in December for a detached home, 73% for a condo. That's incredibly high for both of those product types. And we actually hit 129% for townhomes, which we said last month they were up to 95% and we stopped to sort of marvel at how shocking that was. And uh, here we are up over 100%. We had to, we ran some charts on this. We had to actually change the charts just to make them fit on the page. Um, that means there was far more townhomes that sold in December than there were townhomes available as of the end of December. Another way to look at that is there's less than one month's worth of inventory for townhomes available. Um, there is just almost nothing available for townhomes. There's not much available for detached and condos. And it's we're just extreme into seller's market territory. Um, so with that, you know, we're so far away from a balanced market. I I wonder, Ryan Berlin, if you want to kind of chime in here, what what does the next few months look like in your view? What would it take for us to get back to a balanced market? Uh, or rather, where do we go from here? Uh, given the, the extreme conditions we now face? Very good question. I don't know if as an economist, I'm allowed to say that these conditions are crazy, <clears throat> um, but it, 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 it is extreme, right? So so it is, it is a good question given where we're at and where we've been for so long. Um, you know, what would it take? Like what kind of a shift in the market would it take to get back to balanced conditions where you know, really conditions are not favoring buyers or sellers. Um, and therefore there's not a lot of pressure on prices one way or the other. So the last time we had a balanced market really uh, was in 2019. So we're talking about two years, really two plus years ago. Um, and at that time when the market overall region wide was balanced, we had uh, about 20,000 listings, right? So that's triple uh, what we're looking at today. I think importantly, it's worth noting that at that time, sales were sort of bouncing between three and 4,000 a month. So about a third lower than what we've experienced over the past year plus, where we've been averaging essentially, you know, 5,000 a month. And of course, last March, uh, so in 2021, we hit an all-time high for any month of, of 9,000. So we talk about what would it take to achieve a balanced market Given the recent pace of sales, uh, we would really need to see inventory rise into the range of 25 to 30,000 listings, which, you know, again, is above where uh, the listings count was when our market was previously balanced. Um, we haven't seen, we have achieved a listings count of, of 25,000 before. The last time we saw it was in 2014. And so that was a time as well, notably that um, the Canadian economy and BC's economy softened for a period of time. Um, and when that happens and you tend to see you know, an increase in the unemployment rate, at least at the margin, is when you start to see listings rise a little bit. Um, you know, there are people impacted by a slowing economy who um, need to make a move or are unable to afford to uh, 
pay for their, uh, or they're unable to afford their mortgage. Um, and so they look to sell. And so you do at the margin get an increase in listings. So oftentimes there is that economic tie-in um, between the unemployment rate um, and potentially loss of income and increased inventory. Um, so, you know, when we think about that as the context for, you know, listings in the range of 25 to 30,000 previously, um, really at the lower end of that range, it is hard to, to imagine what the, the economic trigger would be currently to get to, to, to generate such a deep pool of listings, given the current demand levels. Of course, something could come out of the blue, just in the way that COVID did, uh, and most of us didn't see that coming. So there could be some sort of shock to our economy that did lead to a rise in unemployment, that did lead to a rise in listings, but it, it is really, really hard to see how that would play out in the near term. So at the end of the day, um, you know, Numerically, that's what it would take to get to a balanced market. Is it likely in the near term? It's not. Um, so we look at the market and, and we know that buyers are in a pinch and, and they really have been for a while. So Jane, you know, as a, as a realtor and as uh, a rennie advisor, like how do you, how do you confront this reality uh, when you're working with uh, buyers? So um, I would say how that translates to buyers is, um, especially with noticing um, the same pattern come up with the buyers that I'm working with. Um, the common theme that comes up is that expectations might need to be adjusted. Um, so for example, $2 million uh, doesn't go very far in Vancouver now, which is shocking because you think that $2 million is a lot of money. And then there was that campaign a long time ago that most people don't have a million dollars and now it's $2 million for a Vancouver special on a standard lot that's not renovated and there still needs to be a lot of work to be done to it. So that's, that's a really hard reality for a lot of people to accept. Um, unfortunately, you know, I can't alone change uh, what the market's doing and we just kind of have to all adapt to the new reality. Um, my counselor says to me, uh, for dating and finding a partner, the new, the seven out of 10 is good enough. And I think that that kind of applies towards, um, shopping around for, you know, your property, um, and, you know, don't try to go for a hundred percent, like of what you're looking for 65 to 75% is good enough because, you know, we don't even do that with like looking for a partner or with our children. Um, and so, you know, same thing with the housing, um, things that it would, you know, challenge my buyers on would be, um, potentially buying something with uh, shared laundry, um, or like if you really need the covered parking space, uh, if it's a single family, uh, when I personally was shopping around for my own single family property, uh, I thought that I needed my own laundry and I was actually, it took me a while to adapt to shared laundry, but it was actually not that bad. And the same thing goes for, uh, parking and having it like in a designated spot in the backyard, but not covered. So I would really want to kind of challenge the buyers on what are actually like truly non-negotiables. Um, so that's kind of my insight for buyers. Those are some, uh, really good insights, Jane. And obviously in, an, in, in lots of cases, I'm sure it's a tough pill to swallow for buyers, but on the other side of the ledger, um, you know, what is your advice to the sellers that you're working with? 
With um, sellers, the pattern that I'm noticing is a lot of them want to actually sell to move into something larger. Um, and because they find it hard to find the perfect next home, um, it's also delaying their plans to list and further contributing to the inventory issue. So I would say for sellers, it's also the same thing with adjusting expectations. And just because right now it's um, in general a seller's market, uh, you know, also go over the stats with your uh, realtor uh, because it may not mean that your specific property is worth um, a lot more than the current market price. So, uh, you know, in the stats package that you issue each month, uh, we're looking at houses and townhouses, which are able to get a higher uh, price than the last sold and it's increasing at a pretty fast rate uh, where you're not going to be seeing large gains is in the condo market um, and the attached market so i think that for sellers um, my recommendation is to focus on the bigger picture um, and avoid generalizations when it comes to pricing strategy and uh, what to do with your particular home um, and also there are still opportunities out there, regardless, we're both sellers and buyers. So I just want to encourage that, you know, if you've been wanting to make the switch from east side to west side from single family houses, right now, the gap between the two markets is not very high. Um, also, if you're trying to enter East Vancouver condos or downtown condos, that might also be a really great opportunity. So there might be pivoting needed on both buyer and seller sides. Um, and that's kind of my advice. So that brings us into insight number two. The Vancouver region recorded almost 71,000 sales last year for all-time MLS record. And that is a record high. So I remember 2020, 2016 being a really strong year for sales. So how does 2021 compare to 2016 sales? So 2016, the previous record, and like you say, you remember being a busy year. I think most people do. Uh, it was all over the headlines, uh, how you know, just how busy the real estate market was in this region. Um, 2021 came in 10% higher than uh, the previous record. So it didn't just pass it. It kind of blew it out of the water a bit. Yeah. Um, so we'd never seen um, 65,000 sales before. Here we are up over 70,000 sales. Um, and it's sort of a few things. We talked a lot about how last spring, the all-time record for uh, most sales in a month was set in March. And then things kind of slowed down a bit off the spring, but we still saw almost 5,000 homes sold in every month in the back half of the year. Things were busy right through to the end of December. So December's sales came in uh, at almost 4,400, which was uh, down a bit from December 2020, but still 45% above the 10-year average. So really strong sales right through to the end of the year. Uh, so when you factor in the, the record low constrained inventory throughout the second half of the year, that it didn't stop uh, the activity level from sort of staying at that really consistent pace uh, all the way to the end of the year. Um, sales were, as Ryan pointed out earlier, you know, in order to get to a balanced market, like in 2019, you'd need uh, inventory to come up and sales to come back down below 4,000. We haven't seen a single month below 4,000 sales um, since May of 2020. So the last time we saw sales that slow, we were in you know the original COVID lockdown. Um, sales have been incredibly consistent the last you know 18 months in 2021. 
uh, it's not a surprise that it was quite the record. So one thing to note is we are already looking at the early January data to see where things are going in 2022. So with about two weeks into January, uh, sales are just over 1,200, which would put us on pace for less than 3,000. We haven't seen a month that slow again since May 2020 when everyone was in lockdown. So it could be that the record low inventory is finally starting to weigh on sales and sales are quite slow. We'll be watching in the back half of January to see if that picks up or if 2022 starts off a little slower than 2021 did. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point that, you know, sales activity and inventory are not mutually exclusive. And, and you know, I do think that if you look at if you look at the distribution of prices within existing inventory, we've talked about this in previous episodes, about only half of it. You know, overall, we have extremely low inventory, but. Uh, only half of it is is listed at less than one and a half million dollars. So if you talk about what's accessible for the average buyer, uh, it's really, really minimal. And then a lot of the stuff too that's out there right now is just sort of not uh, in completely habitable condition. Um, you know, a, a lot of the prices or listings that you'll see even on the detached front are, uh, or specifically on the detached front um, are for, Homes are, are homes that need a lot of renovations, or it's just simply the land that's effectively being offered up. So, um, you know, very challenging times, and I think that I think that the rise of Omicron um, sounds like I'm talking about a Transformers movie, but the rise of Omicron, and then we've had some really tough weather to start the year too. There's a lot of things that are sort of restricting inventory, and then as you say, Rai, um, buyers just don't have a ton of. Options. Um, so, so sales have started off uh, slowly, um, but if we look back at 2021 as a whole, you know, obviously being a record year, it does remind us of 2016. Um, but so, obviously, numerically, we do that comparison all the time. But it, the context for demand and the market five years ago was so different, right? If you go back then, the, the provincially, the Liberal government was in power and there was a lot of talk about, well, what can we do about rising house prices and all this activity and it's uh, foreign buyers. So we, they, you know, the, the government at the time implemented the foreign buyers tax, um, other uh, taxes and regulations, including the, I mean, eventually the speculation and vacancy tax um, and uh, stratified and higher property transfer tax uh, thresholds. Um, and so, but the, the thinking was at that time that, Hey, you know, all this activity in the market is not being generated from a local buyer pool. It's, it's foreign buyers. What's interesting now is that we're setting new records in sales and we'll, we'll talk more about prices in a moment, but the foreign buyer share of all residential purchases in Metro Vancouver currently is just a hair above 1%. So it's a very, very, so in other words, almost 99% of all purchases are by people who are here, who are living here. Uh, and in most cases, working here and spending their money here and paying their taxes here. Um, so it's very much been a, a local buyer's market in a sense since COVID began, because we also had um, depressed or suppressed um, immigration, especially in 2022. It has bounced back uh, to a certain degree in 2021. But when we look at the numbers as well, we know that many of those quote unquote immigrants last year, not people that came to the country last year who weren't previously in the country, they were here with you know working visa or, or study permits and were converted to permanent residents. So again, it's it's this market is unique in that 
the demand that we're seeing is largely overwhelmingly locally generated. So certainly uh, a different set of conditions than five years ago. Um, and Jane, just punting it over to you, I, I suspect I know the answer to this one, but have you ever seen a market like this before? And I would challenge you to not use the word unprecedented or use it if you want. Yes. So, um, you know, what this translates into it, like 10% higher than the previous record from 2016 is that there have been 7,000 more homes sold in 2021 than in 2016. Um, so I feel like it's really difficult to not use the word unprecedented because we're using that word really like um, we're, we're using that word properly to describe what is exactly happening here. I've uh, never been in a market like this, and I have been in the 2016 uh, market. 2021 was by far a lot busier for me than 2016. What's different in 2021 than in 2016 is I'm seeing extremely high competition amongst buyers in multiple offers. So what that looks like and how that translates is we're seeing about 100 people come through open houses for single family houses. Um, and then that works out to about 40 to 50 offers. And then the price is about 100,000 to 150,000 higher than the last sold price. So that's really stiff competition. Um, and the prices are rising very quickly because of that. In 2016, I recall that the numbers were about half. So it was about maybe 50 groups through an open house on the weekend for a single family house. And then maybe you're competing uh, amongst 15 to 25 people. And then in the end, the prices were not as high as the last sold. What else is also different in 2021 compared to 2016 is the utilization of technology. I'm finding um, in my business, we are, you know, a lot more efficient uh, with COVID. People are not viewing properties as much. They're relying on online videos, Matterport, 3D click-through uh, tours themselves before they even go in to look at a specific property. So people are a lot more pre-qualified to come to my listings or my buyers to look at other people's listings. Um, I would say... However, I would say virtual tours are not going to replace viewing uh, an actual property in person. I had a house that was listed when we did do 3D Matterport. And uh, this person that put an offer and that was a winning bid in a multiple offer situation, uh, you know, they purchased the home based on the virtual tour. But after they viewed it in person, they realized it didn't look like they thought it would look on 3D. So one thing I do want to um, mention is that there are still some limitations with technology. There's always the feeling, there's the intangibles of like touching the space and seeing with your own eye the you know reflection of certain surfaces. Uh, but that's not, not going to change. I would say that another thing that's really important for buyers and sellers um, in this market is working with an agent who has um, experience with forecasting and prediction on the price in order to save you time because it's so competitive right now. You want to work with an expert um, that is that is able to um, translate and uh, forecast and give you um, advice on how to offer on, on homes. Jane, that's a really great point. But to that point, how, if you were a 
a buyer, how would you know, um, you know, while qualifying an agent that they're able to, to forecast these, these prices and, and be able to negotiate for them at the best disability? I would say experience is a really great um, tool. If they've had uh, success uh, with other clients in the past, that usually gives a lot of people more comfort uh, to trust this uh, particular professional. Um, another thing is, just like any relationship, it just takes time to build that trust. But after three or four times, they start to see over and over again that my forecast and prediction is pretty much spot on. So I think that for myself working with buyers, I usually allow time for education um, and also for trust to build. Um, and I, I believe in you know long-term win-win relationships, so I'm never uh, going to pressure my buyers to offer an insane price on the first one, especially since this is one of their biggest purchases in their entire life. I love that insight, Jane. Thank you for sharing that. So that moves us on to insight number three. Home prices are rising at a pace never before seen with house prices rising in the region on average by 23% in 2021. So Ryan, a 23% year over year price increase is, is huge. Currently, we're worried about consumer price inflation that is, quote unquote, only at 5%. Um, and I suspect that price growth within the detached segment is even more dramatic. Yeah, it sure is. Um, yeah, so 23% is a really massive number for a year-over-year -year price change. We're talking about the benchmark price, which uh, takes into account um, location and quality and adjusts for all that. So this is a real average price within the Vancouver region. So yep, detached home prices were up significantly more. They Let's throw a bunch of numbers at you. Detached home prices were up 30%. Town home prices were up 27% on average and condos 16%. Um, but of course, most buyers and sellers and homeowners aren't as concerned about percentage increases as we are at Intel. Um, they want to know, you know, how much did my home price rise? How much did the value of my home rise in terms of the actual dollars? So let's talk about this in dollars. The typical detached home uh, increased in value $400,000. Townhomes, $194,000. Condos, $107,000. Those were the increases from December 2020 through to December 2021. These are massive increases. Um, so we ran the, those increases back as far as we have the data for, which is back to 2005. And uh, this will probably not surprise anyone to learn that this is a record year, 2021 once again. Um, the previous record year being 2016 again. Um, and the the amount at which uh, these increases broke the 2016 record was once again uh, quite substantial. Um, so we didn't just see, you know, rising home prices at uh, a record level. It was substantially more than the old record. Um, another thing to note uh, we we're watching closely is uh, the difference in average price between a townhome and a condo in the market. Um, it, Historically in the region, there's been a small premium that you would pay for a townhome on average than you would for a condo. And generally, um, those prices kind of move in tandem. So when one rises, the other rises at a similar rate. And the gap between the two um, has been between ten dollars and $50,000 historically in this region. Um, but as we talked about, the price of townhomes has really risen quite rapidly lately. There's very few townhomes available. Um, and 
condo prices have not kept pace in the last year. So uh, last December, the gap was $58,000. Uh, so on average, you pay $58,000 more for a townhome than a condo. Um, by June, that number was up to 106000 That was the first time ever that the premium for a townhome was over $100,000. And in December, it was up to 145000 So that gap, that premium almost tripled in a year. Um, so to Jane's point earlier about there being opportunities, I would say there's probably opportunities in the condo space, far more than there are in the townhome space, given there's very few available. And now prices are rising uh, at a quite a rapid pace. Um, looking ahead to 2022, I wouldn't be surprised if more buyers are sort of pushed back to the condo space who maybe would like a townhome simply because, you know, there's more availability for condos. There's a bit more affordability now than there has been. Um, I do also wonder if, uh, um, so boomers, empty nesters, uh, there's opportunity to downsize given that there's so few detached homes and townhomes available on the market. Uh, and those prices have risen so much quicker than than condo prices. Yeah, I would say that's another opportunity. Um, if you're trying to downsize, say, for example, you're um, trying to retire and own less and travel more when the pandemic is hopefully over um, and you're in a really large single family house, um, hoping to move into a three bedroom condo. Um, I, I have a lot of like clients that, you know, for health reasons, they want one level flats with elevators um, and, you know, for uh, anticipating mobility issues, that might actually be a great opportunity uh, considering single family houses being at an all time high and condos uh, not being um, as high. Mostly I'm sure you're working with all kinds of people, but working mostly with people that are trying to find something larger. I would say, yeah, most of my clients, um, I would say about 80% of my clients are repeat clients and they're now in the stage where they're expanding their families, um, you know, getting a dog, having a baby. Um, and so they're definitely looking for more space. They don't want to move outside of the city. They want to stay in Vancouver. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, 800 square feet that worked for just the two of them is no longer going to work for them. So they need, you know, three bedrooms now. So I was talking with a lot of uh, clients about um, the, you know, spikes in the real estate market, you know, the 23% year over year price. And it makes sense to me um, with inflation rate being 5%. And that's not including a lot of other like goods that we use on a daily basis. And Ryan, maybe you can chime in and correct me in this because I heard gas and housing that's not included in the calculation and what other things are not included in the calculation. So those things are included oh, okay. in the calculation, but like, so housing is like house prices are not, but the cost of like servicing the associated debt would be. You know, real estate has always kind of been drilled in me uh, in my BCIT real estate course, that it's a hedge against inflation. And, um, you know, first times experiencing and seeing inflation, um, I, you know, I can understand why uh, real estate is a classic hedge against inflation, he inflation being 5%, and then real estate increasing to 23%. I can see why a lot of people are at the record low interest rates, taking the money out of their banks, and then putting it in into real estate. Um, so this lesson of mine has really been, um, internalized, like, even though this was, uh, you know, shared with me 15 years ago from my real estate instructor at BCIT, um, I'm really, 
um, understanding how it truly is an, um, a hedge against inflation this year. Yeah. And so uh, I agree, Jane, that, that real estate does in, you know, almost always serve as a hedge against inflation, particularly in the last you know, 20, 30 years when inflation has been, quote unquote, tamed until recently. Um, but I think, you know, even as we look to this year, if inflation does persist at, uh, you know, in the realm of four to five percent, maybe a bit higher in the near term, we'll see. Um, it will eventually elicit a response from the Bank of Canada. We know some rate, rate hikes are coming um, and they'll be measured. They'll be moderate. Um, there'll be lots of forward signaling so that we understand sort of what the plan is for the bank, that they're not going to double or triple overnight. All that being said, all this activity that we've seen in the market um, over the past year, year and a half has happened against, particularly in the last, let's say, six to eight months, has happened against the backdrop of uh, increasing bond yields and therefore increasing fixed mortgage rates. And that that impacts the vast majority of borrowers. So despite those rising interest costs, um, we still have seen lots of sales activity and we've seen prices rise considerably. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that rates, even though they have increased already, are at historical lows. So when we talk about the coming year and possibly you know, further increases in, in all interest rates on the fixed rate side, on the variable rate side, thanks to the Bank of Canada, um, you know, I think there will, we, we are going to see, um, in my opinion, prices, particularly at the high end of the market. So, and, and if I looked at segmenting it, the market by home type, I'm speaking about detached. I think we could see a bit of a leveling off in prices. That being said, we get asked a lot about what the, what the future holds for the market. And as most people know, I don't, I, I'm, I don't like forecasting prices. There are far too many variables in play to, to provide meaningful forecasts of value. But what we have done is sort of map out the next 90 days. So just taking us into that spring market, which is typically, um, you know, the most active of the year. And we, we developed a couple of scenarios to sort of bracket what we thought were likely outcomes. One was by looking at what average sales and inventory levels are at this time of year in sort of January's and February's and March's. Um, and then the other scenario is it looks at average month over month changes between December and January and then February and then March. But in the context of our current record low inventory and record high sales counts. And so regardless of what scenario, whatever what path we follow, assuming that, that those paths represent outer bounds for, for you know, potential outcomes uh, in our market, what we're looking at are seller's market conditions that um, we really expect to persist into March. There's not a lot pointing to uh, conditions not favoring sellers over the next few months and then even beyond, which says that if you're a buyer in this market and you're sort of waiting on the sideline for prices to come back to you, um, there's no guarantees for certain, um, but given where we're at with supply and demand and given the trajectory, especially against the backdrop of some of these uh, demand side pressures of record household savings and uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of mortgage-free equity in this region and an immigration that is expected to be likely at an all-time high in 2022. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that overall, we will see these seller's market conditions, but, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast here, within the market, there will be some opportunities, more so for some people like downsizers than others who are are looking to move up market. Yeah, I would say, you know, 
I would say like it's really important to talk to a real estate professional who can give you a personal consultation because at the end of the day, it really depends on what are your greater goals. Uh, is it to move up the property ladder or is it, you know, for cash flow, um, for passive income, or is it for capital gains investment? Like, so everyone has such different objectives or, uh, you know, more importantly, it's like, is it to live in for yourself? Is it your forever home? So everyone has such different um, objectives and it's really important to sit down with an expert um, who can give you personal advice, uh, just like accounting. You can always give general advice, uh, but the same thing happens for real estate where, you know, you have to sit down with somebody to uh, really get that personal consultation. Um, yeah, so I would just encourage people <laughs> to speak to their real estate professional. Um, other opportunities. Um, so basically, I would say some of the opportunities in pre-sale uh, are in tempo-phased projects and not in launches. Uh, the reason why I say there are opportunities in tempo-phased projects is because of the preferred deposit structure, where you only need to put 5 to 10% down. And sometimes there might be additional discounts or promotions from the developer to move the last homes. And this is actually not typical for developers because they have to meet uh, minimum financing requirements during a launch phase. So they usually require 20 to 25% down. So if someone has, um, say for example, I had a, one client buy a two bedroom and two bathroom in Berkwitlam from a developer that works with Rennie and uh, uh, they only needed 10% down and that's that translates into 60K versus 120K. So that's a really huge um, opportunity for somebody to with 60K in the savings and not 120. Um, and this project would complete one and a half year down the road. And uh, they already they already saw an increase of about $100,000 from this purchase. So I would say like, you know, um, projects that are in their temple phase, it's definitely worth um, looking at. Uh, some of the remaining homes, although, you know, some things you might have to compromise on, such as uh, this particular home that my client purchased is facing a louder street. So it may not be facing like the courtyard where it would be quieter, but you're getting a deal um, and you're only putting down 60K versus 120K. Um, uh, other things you might have to compromise on are maybe the floor plan would have a little bit more hallway compared to your ideal floor plan. Uh, but, you know, if you're willing to compromise and look at the opportunities where they exist, uh, you're going to find uh, that you're going to come out kind of winning. Um, so like like this one particular client has in just what, one year time time frame. Sorry, Jane, for that, are we able to elaborate a little bit more on this 10 percent deposit? Because uh, that would just basically allow your clients to have more time to save up for the remaining balance that is still owed at completion. Right. Yes, Exactly. Um, so they had 60K in the bank, but they w didn't want to miss out on the current market prices, knowing that the market prices are rising so quickly. So, um, you know, within one and a half to two years time, they felt like they could save an another 60K down. Um, and the uh, price, they were able to work out the monthly payments and they they felt like they were comfortable with the monthly payments because it uh, basically uh, was about the same as their current rent. Um, at their principal residence. 
So I think that like opportunities like that, um, you know, you just have to compromise a bit uh, on the floor plan or maybe the noise level or the level that you want to be on. You might have to be on ground floor versus the top floor. So, <laughs> but there's a really, really good opportunity there. Yeah, definitely. I think that there is obviously a lot of opportunities still to be had if you are searching in the right places and um, if it fits your criteria, then then why not, right? So we did unpack a lot today in today's episode of the podcast. We covered three key main insights. The first, that there was a record low number of inventory. The second being that we reached a record high in annual sales. And the third is we reached a record high for prices. So we see that we set a lot of records this, uh, this past month here. Um, Jane, do you have any final advice or thoughts for home buyers or sellers that you want to share before we, we end off the podcast? Yes, I would say the seven out of 10 rule um, and to not be perfectionists, uh, manage your expectations as a buyer um, and also seller uh, and always just try to speak with an expert about specifics and we want to avoid just general advice. That's great advice. And if uh, anybody wants to reach out to you directly for more information, how can they get a hold of you? Yes, usually the best way is just to give me a call or a text message or send me an email. Perfect. And what's your email, Jane? It's janechu at rennie.com. Great. And Jane's information can also be found on the rennie.com website. So feel free to go to her website and take a look and discover more about Jane. And this wraps up this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox register for intelligence updates. Jane, it was a pleasure having you join us today. We really appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge. It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Ryan Berlin and Ryan Wise, likewise, it's always been a pleasure having you and I can't wait for our next episode. Thanks, Justine. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Thank you all and stay safe, everyone, until our next podcast. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. <laughs>